Welcome, friends. I'm Anitra Senegal, the director of the Women's Center for Healing and Transformation, located in beautiful downtown Abita Springs, Louisiana. You're listening to the first of our monthly podcasts. Today's guest moderator is Sharon Edwards. Um, thank you, Anitra. I'm so happy to be here and to look back at how the Women's Center began it's been eight years since the door was open, and tonight has gathered a group of the women who founded this center. We're very excited to talk to them. We know there's ambitious plans and programs at the center and in the future, and this is a good start. Anitra, you had you had an observation about, you know, how they came to actually birth the center. Mm -hmm. So these ladies met for nine months. And it just, for me, really was significant that it also takes nine months to birth a child, a child that we love dearly. And we do everything we can to support and ensure that child grows and grows knowing that it's loved and cared for. And that's what they've done. And so I'm interested in kind of getting their take on how their baby is doing now, eight years later. So I'm very excited to have these ladies here and to hear their story and their hopes and dreams for the center. Um, as the current director, it's important for me to have that direction from these ladies who, to me, are the, the mothers of this organization. want to look back at how the um, vision for the center came together. And so we have two people who were there when the idea was first said out loud. Would you please introduce yourselves? I'm Clark McBee. And I'm Patricia Stout. Patricia, you are the founding director of the center. Could you tell us a little bit about how it started? Well, it's funny to say there's this moment in time that it started because there's so many circles that I was a part of that led up to this and many groups that had met over time saying, let's have a holistic healing center. But this particular incarnation of that conversation, I had been thinking of having a center just for women. I'm a psychotherapist and I also wanted these other healing modalities all under one roof. And I met Clark. You want to tell that story? Sure. <laughs> I said, um, I just moved here. I have a, a one month old baby and I want to start a private practice. And I specialize in working with adult women doing body centered psychotherapy. Patricia, I think, followed me out to the car and said, um, so I've had this vision for about 25 years of opening and I've wanted to open a women's center for healing. Are you interested in helping me? And I said, sure. I mean, I, I don't know what I can contribute, but I'm here and I'm willing. And um, that was kind of the beginning of it. So, and then Patricia was, was wonderful in taking me kind of under her wing and allowing me to rent space and, 
and she introduced, she, she had a full practice at the time. So it was a natural overflow. And so she kind of helped me to build my practice. And then I rented a space here. Mm-hmm. Right. And started groups here. Yeah. So it was something that had been building since I'd been on retreat that winter. And so that was the first time I really said it out loud to anyone. So it, it was really, it's sort of an extension of the practice. You wanted to have more than just what your disciplines offered. You wanted a whole mm-hmm. Well, there were two things I saw that in my private practice as a psychotherapist, the women who really got well had community in their life. They didn't just come see me individually. They had circles. They had other women, whether it was art, music, meditation, dance, just talking with other women. So I wanted some place that the psychotherapy and the other modalities like massage therapy, Reiki, healing touch, all these things could... The women could find each other and find the other methods and find the groups. And the other thing I knew was that I had a wealth of information of connections of women throughout the community. I had so many circles. My calendar was full of things I could do that were healing and transforming for me in my life. And they were all in people's living rooms. They were all by word of mouth. And you had to know you had to be in the in club. And I wanted it to be available on a street front where everybody could find it. So how did it, how did that happen? How did it come about? Well, we had that conversation in April Mm -hmm. and on May 29th, I put out this email that I brought printed and brought with me. Um, I put out, it says, dear mothers, sisters, grandmothers, aunts, friends. Um, You know, I've had this vision to open a women's healing center and it was, so I just contacted everyone I knew from the 10 different kinds of circles I was in some of whom had been talking about having a healing center for many years, but they didn't know, they'd have these meetings, but no one had the land or the property. And so we'd all just go home and go back to our practices. And so this was different because it wasn't just going to be a network, it was going to be a place. So how'd you find this? How'd you end up here? Well, Kate Hauk, who lives pretty much next door in another similar 1850s boarding house, style house, she was walking by it. She knew Suzanne Harper, and Suzanne had been talking to her about the vision. So she understood the vision and she saw the place. And she told Suzanne and Suzanne told Virginia. And we were on a working retreat in Lacombe with about seven or eight of us who were really doing a lot of the work of finding the building and solidifying the vision. And we were looking at these two different places in Mandeville, neither of which really fit. And I had this agenda for the whole weekend retreat. And Virginia says, have you thought of looking in Abita? And I said, no, but let's get back to our agenda. And about an hour later, she says, I called the realtor. We can go see it right now. (laughs) So we threw out the agenda and we all rode over here and met with the landlord. It was just beautiful from the moment we walked in. What was it like when you opened the doors for the first time? What I loved was the idea of the healing waters of Abita Springs. And so it wasn't as geographically desirable as Mandeville would have been close to my home, but it seemed like the perfect place just because of the area, the energy. And um, when I got to see it, I walked in and I I just knew it felt like home and um, it felt um, very warm. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm an energy person. Um, You know, it's, it's just a feeling that when you walk through these doors and, um, 
that for me, it was a feeling. Mm-hmm. The high ceilings and every every room had its own color. I had this childhood vision or dream that one day I'd have this house that everybody could come to and there all the rooms would be a different color and there'd be an art room and a music room and a trampoline room. The whole room would just be made of trampoline, you know, because I was a kid. But every room had its special purpose. And it was like walking into that. What does the symbol of the butterfly mean on the Women's Center logo? Well, that was from the beginning. Um, so many of us are in circles that have to do with transformation, so and also nature. So I'd say it's a combination of the cycles and seasons of nature, but also the cycles and seasons of a woman, her body, the cycles of life, the cycles of the month. So just the circle from egg to caterpillar. And I guess the healing part is if you're a wounded caterpillar, you want to get well enough to where you're a working caterpillar again, but your whole destiny isn't to just be the best caterpillar you can be. So to actually go into that cocoon, which is sometimes a dark space and can seem foreboding. Um, I've learned that some butterflies, when the caterpillar goes inside the chrysalis, it doesn't just sprout some pretty wings. It actually liquefies first and really dissolves its form and then reforms. And so that kind of breaking down and building back up that you need a safe container to do that in to transform into the butterfly. What do you think the impact has been of the center in the community? Yeah, I think one of the things that I love the most and that I saw as a theme when I had my private practice here working with women is um, this area has a lot of transplants people who come move to the area and I found a common theme was people really struggled or women struggled to find connection and um, they would they were lonely and they they were craving that connection and they would just say I, I, I haven't found my people and so when I'm out in the area or I meet people who express that that feeling, I always say, have you checked out the Women's Center in Abita Springs? Because that is where I feel like people can come and there's so many different things available that there is something that some everyone can find something here that that fills their soul and that helps them feel that connection that is so important that we all crave. Mm-hmm. So. And I think one of the things for community members is they might walk in here to take a class, but they might also come back to teach a class. So there isn't this strict, you know, us and them between who's a provider, who's, I mean, there are boundaries and there are times that certain things are appropriate for certain people at certain times, but you might come and come to someone else's workshop on Sunday and lead a workshop on Tuesday and come be a part of some activist thing that's happening the next week. So I think in that way, it's given a lot of women an opportunity to share their talents and, and kind of give them an incubator for that. Uh, and there have been art bazaars here, music concerts. So sometimes the wider community is attracted when we do the arts, poetry, singing, things like that. And then there's also, I mean, when we opened the center, we didn't know about the political divide that was coming. And, you know, it seems so innocent now, looking back. We knew that we needed to learn more about anti-racism and how sexism and racism went together and that we needed to move beyond our understanding of an environmental feminism and eco-feminism into an intersectional feminism. But that's been part of being in the community. It's how are we really here for the community? 
and when people are suffering and struggling and polarized and don't sometimes can't talk to their own family members about what's happening. You mentioned a lot about circles. You were in circles. I know that, you know, tonight you began with a circle. You sang a song. You, you know, you talked to each other. Um, talk a little bit about what the circle means in, in terms of, you know, some of the structure of the programs and what you try to accomplish here. Yeah, it was really born out of, I, I see a lot of overlapping circles with the drum circle and uh, so many different, there was a recovering people's circle that I'm part of that many of the beginning, there's all these about 10 different overlapping circles. And they have a lot of things in common. Um, the egalitarian leadership structure, often saying your name or in some way buying into the space before you speak, being aware of how often you speak, giving everyone a turn. But most of these were sacred circles in some way. So they had, as you said, they had an intention or a song or a prayer or a meditation. Um, but so on that email that I brought, I signed it with love in the circle, that first call. And it's that the circle is really a symbol for women and women's way of being together, women's leadership that is uh, less hierarchical. And there's studies all over the world of when women are in business or in government or in any kind of leadership, it's good for everybody. And um, it's, it's transformative. Um, there's so much I want to say on this topic. Mm -hmm. you wanna well, I just, I guess that the, the uh, word inclusive just keeps coming up for me as mm -hmm. she was talking. Um, and uh, I feel like this is an, an, a safe space for people to, um, to come and to share and to just be with other women. Um, but so that's kind of when I think of a circle, it feels inclusive. It doesn't, we're not leaving anyone out. Everyone's included and everybody is valued and important, um, in forming that circle. Absolutely. Um, and what I had noticed how in our church, the small group ministry program kind of held it together when we lost a minister and we went through Katrina. So I had learned a lot in helping to train and be part of the facilitation of that small group ministry. And so when we had our sacred listening circles, it was a similar model, a closed group where women could share freely and confidentially and really have that. I mean, we saw the sacred listening circle carry a member through her death process and the way the women were there for her through that. And then when you have all the different circles, it affects the community as a whole. And you start to interact differently with less power dynamics. I mean, they're still there, we're human beings, but with fewer of those power dynamics. So it became important to us. Well, let me say, it was very natural at the beginning. We always met in circle. If we were having a board meeting, it was a circle first and a board meeting second. So there was prayer, there was uh, or some sort of ceremony, or there was a poem read, or there was a song sung. And we always went around and checked in with everyone. You know, what's on your heart right now? What's your intention for being here today? How are you? How's your family? And then we would get to the business. So it was never about business first. Um, and that was built in. But over time, some of the original members went on and did other things and got older and we got new people. And it can be hard to keep that kind of sense of the circle going. So we had to build it in purposely. We began to study the circle way. We um, consulted with the Red Shoes and Baton Rouge because they were using a rotating leadership system in their board and they didn't call it a board of directors anymore. That's sort of a thing in nonprofits now that want to be more egalitarian. They don't have a board. So we now have a leadership council and that's not just semantics. 
We have a leadership council where there isn't a president. There isn't even a chair, which is what we used to have. There's a host and a scribe and a guardian of the space. And the host and the guardian work together to create silence, to create a time to ring the bell, a time to refocus. And that role shifts every time. And that leadership, that shifting of the leadership model of one of the books about it is The Circle Way, A Leader in Every Chair. And we're doing some training with those folks. And that's used in our staff meetings, our leadership council meeting, all of our committee meetings, every kind of meeting we have for the structure. Because we found we found that we could be providing services to other women, but not necessarily walking that talk ourselves. And we needed to, from the inside of the organization out, we needed to be coming from that egalitarian place and that honoring of being and not just doing. You had a caregiver support circle here. I did. Mm -hmm. I did. Um, so I, um, background is in counseling. I did my internship in, in hospice and now work with caregivers um, who go into the home. So just really constantly entrenched in um, in people who are caring for spouses or parents or you know loved ones. And um, so I think somebody else was leading the group and they were leaving. It was a caregiver support group. And um, I was, I actually left my, the private practice here um, to go work in hospice. And Patricia approached me and said, would you be interested in taking over the caregiver support group? And so um, I, I did that for, mm -hmm. I think Many about years. four years mm -hmm. or so. And and it was, it's such a wonderful group. And um, I got so much out of just, just being in the group. I'm a, I'm a caregiver as well. Um, you know, my parents are, are getting older. And um, so it really, um, it, it was a, a great circle, a great group. Another thing about that circle is women, I think, are often the gatekeepers of caring for those that are dying and doing the birthing process and breastfeeding. So that being able to honor those gateways is part. So what is the future you see for the Women's Center? That just feels like lots of possibilities. Mm -hmm. I see lots of butterflies spreading their wings. I really appreciate the structure right now, and I think that we have really firm legs to stand on. It's going to be interesting because we've thinned out during COVID, although providing lots of virtual programs and hybrid programs. But I think that younger women getting involved is part of the future. We're going to do some pop-up programs where we bring those circles out of Abita Springs. What else is for the future of the Women's Center? That's such a big question. I think continuing to see how what it means to be a woman is changing. What does that even mean? And who qualifies and who doesn't? Mm. And how are we really here for all women? Mm. So it's a, it's a continual growth process because it's mostly middle-aged white women who started the center, not exclusively, but in terms of the texture of our culture, it's mostly white-centered. And so continuing to do the work um, that has been central to us. We do come from a lot of circles that have indigenous wisdom in them. And then we've done a good bit of training with the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond on undoing racism. Mm -hmm. And so the anti-racist work is really important so that we can be truly inclusive yeah. and recognize that women, some women don't have the leisure time available to do what we might consider 
healing and transformation and meeting everyone where they are on their journey and what their needs are. Um, what I appreciate about the Women's Center is it not only gave me a place uh, to to help heal and, and do the work that I do with people, but it has really challenged me and taught me so much. And Patricia has um, exposed me to, to some things that, you know, it, it really, especially around racism and trying to be more inclusive and just looking internally at, at yourself and, um, and putting yourself in different situations where you can really learn and grow. Um, and so I think that there is a, a need and, and where we live, um, it, it, there's not a lot of opportunity. And so we have to create the opportunity. And that's a challenge to, to create the opportunity, but have it also be and feel authentic and genuine and not forced or mm-hmm. um, contrived or so um, it's but I think that that that's a big part of where um, this center can be pivotal in the community and moving that work forward as a whole, just mm-hmm. because the, the world needs that. Right. Um, it's that juxtaposition of personal healing and healing justice or and healing justice and social justice. So some women uh, and men, of course, burn themselves out so much trying to change the world and miss that piece of personal healing. And other folks are busy with personal healing and aren't really thinking about social justice at all. So healing justice um, is really about taking care of yourself while you're taking care of others, you know, and, and having that wider perspective. Place. So I'd really love to continue. We've had people that want us to drop the word transformation. What does that mean? You know, it is be simpler if it was the center, Women's Center for Healing. And no, we're not dropping that word because it has to do with you know, not just healing yourself or taking care of yourself, but transforming society. I mean, really the reason we wanted to do this, it's nothing less than environmental justice. How do we live on the planet better? And how is there world peace? And how are we one tiny little cell in the body of acting differently so that there's more peace and less harm to Mother Earth. We're talking with two women whose names come up every time Patricia talks about the founding of the center. Could you please introduce yourselves? I'm Suzanne Harper, and um, I was asked to join a meeting uh, about the beginning of a women's center. So I did. And I'm Virginia Davis, and I have done many things in my life to start organizations and get people together. So when Patricia talked about the women's center, it it seemed like a natural thing to do. Now you were both here, you started a a practice here. You came into there and we didn't start the practice here. We we had a practice. We had a practice and then we rented a room together and worked here at, in addition to our other practice. We're massage therapists. So that was part of the model of how to support and sustain the center. Well, and also when the women's center first started, um there was a lot of ideas you know ideas like we taught cooking classes and we did massage and we did yoga and we did 
um, Suzanne does uh, tai, chi. tai Chi. So we kind of took all the talents that we had and brought them to the Women's Center because we wanted to share what we had. And there was just a lot of ideas in the beginning. And so we kind of took all the ideas and started doing things, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> Well, it obviously made sense because... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what was the original um, response to it? How did people... Well, the Women's Center um, was... There was a lot of p different types of people. So the response was great. I mean, there was all kinds of people here. There'd be people that would come here that I didn't even know, and they would do classes here too. There was a lot of different kind of people here. It was fun. What what was the need that you think the center meets? Oh, I think the center definitely met a need for women who were looking for community with other women, looking for a place where they could feel safe and um, in that they were not being judged for who that you know for how they were or who they were. They were just women sharing you know, what women are about. And uh, so I think it, it filled that need, that need for women needing to find other women that they could feel comfortable with and safe with. And, and also, um, you know, in our culture, one of the places that people come together for sort of spiritual connection is through churches. So the Women's Center gave people an opportunity to come together and be spiritual, but not necessarily be in a church. And for some people that might sound weird, but it gave people an opportunity if you were Native American or if you were Buddhist or if you were different types of people from different traditions felt like they could come here, be together and be spiritual but it wasn't the traditional spiritual but it was very spiritual <laughs> do you have any um fond memory um, a memory that comes to mind something that resonates when you think about the center like just a warm spot something that happened or something you did lots of memories yeah. but the, to me the drum circles like i always felt an amazing energy when i left that i had been you know cleansed purified rejuvenated the energy had come to me and it was so simple you just sat and played on the drum and somebody you know it was simple but when i left i felt like something had happened inside of me and and a lot of things like that at the, at the women's center it would be real simple you'd just come and somebody would give a talk or somebody would share something and when you leave you felt rejuvenated we had a choir for a while. A young woman named Sarah came for a while here and she had an incredible voice. Mm. And she um, agreed to, and, and you know, she was doing, um, I don't remember what she called them, but they were, they were workshops where she would bring chocolate, the best chocolate in the world. And, and we would do this amazing um, ceremony around chocolate. And there was some singing and some uh, 
visualizations and stuff like that. But but then she decided to do a choir, and and you know, a group of us started coming and learning songs, and it was uh, it was really fun. We enjoyed the singing and the chocolate and the chocolate. <laughs> chocolate was great. Is there anything else you want to say? Uh, that I really think that having a circle like this, like we had tonight with some of the elders. Oh, I'm an elder. <laughs> vision is very important, to have vision. So we're talking with um, two of the women who were in the original circles that came together to create the Women's Center. Could you um, say your names? Yes. Hi, I'm Mary Frost. I'm Mary Ann McClellan. And what was your um, initial, you know, contact with the group and how it started? Well, I had known Patricia, the founding person of the center for many, many years. She was initially a student of mine. And um, at one point in time, she had always wanted to have community. That was Patricia's passion. And at one point in time, she came to me and told me about her dream for the Women's Center and asked basically for my blessing, which I gave her. I thought it was wonderful. And um, she just kind of took it from there. And the Women's Center was born. So we were in the very beginning stages of organizing the whole beginning of the Women's Center. Mary? Well, we were in circles, as you said many different circles over many years. And we were all knowing each other very well. And we wanted to do more than just be in our own little circles. So we started talking about outreach many, many times. And finally, it gelled when we got a group of women and focused on women's center rather than just a huge, overwhelming, concept of healing center for everybody in the community. You started, I understand, with, with the Healing Touch classes. You taught at the center in the beginning, right? Yes, I rented a room down here too as a, as a practitioner and saw clients here for a couple of years. And then I did use the great room, which is a beautiful, beautiful space in this hallowed building on sacred ground. Uh, for teaching uh, an international uh, healing curriculum. And so different people came from all over this state and I actually had some people from Mississippi come and I had uh, a training with a woman that came down from um, Connecticut. So we were you know, using this as a beautiful hub. So what has been the impact of the programs here in the center? touched many, many women's lives in the myriad programs that we had here. There was always something for everybody here. Marion, tell us a little bit about the healing aspect. And Yes, for me, um, the Women's Center for Healing and Transformation says it all. It has brought so many women together, women in the community, women who have come to this community searching for a home and other women to connect with 
um, the healing part of it to me is what stands out. I have also um, facilitated a grandmother group here at the Women's Center for many years, and um, it just became such a wonderful haven for elder women also to communicate with each other, and the, um, the feeling of safety is what stood out for me. The women would come and say that they felt wonderful connecting with other women, but it was a place for them to come and feel safe. And that to me was the most important part of my part in the community here with the Women's Center. What do you see as um, the future for the center? I think the future is wide open. If you can uh, dream it, you can create it. And so I think there's a new kind of renaissance coming about just by this project here. And just sitting in the room with all these dear people that I haven't seen in some of them in a couple of years. Yeah. Well, you know, in the times we live in right now, too, focusing on women's needs is so much in um, everything that we hear and everything that we see and everything that we're involved in. I see it as growing, becoming stronger, and um, just being a wonderful outlet for the community. I mean, it's, it's just touched so many lives. One of the women in there was also bringing up the fact that some of the men who some of us are associated with also were playing a big part in getting it going for us and helping us. So um, I just see the future for the Women's Center as being very vital in the times in which we're living. And I think it's going to continue to grow and be very important for this community. I think that some of the, the men I've met are, you know, it's the beauty of them understanding that when women are supported and strong, that the partnerships, the families, the community is strong. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, there is a saying that I used to remind the grandmothers of in our circles that came from a Hopi prophecy that says, when the grandmothers speak, the earth will heal. And I believe that goes beyond just the grandmothers. I think when women start to speak their truths, it will help the healing of our, our world. There's also a strong therapeutic quality available here um, through so many different forms of expression and creativity, as well as the traditional therapy. And Patricia has always done something a little bit unconventional with her breathwork therapy. But we've offered so many um, possibilities for actual healing of individuals. And it's really hard to know where to go, but this warm, comfortable place. And there was always been some flowers and a garden out here. And, and Abita has been to uh, ancient times with the native peoples here. It has right. been a healing place with mm -hmm. healing waters. And this was where we landed. And it's so perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Speaking with us. Happy to do it. <clears throat>
we're grateful for um, any way to keep it alive. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, Sharon. Those were great memories and helps us to appreciate the foundation of the Women's Center and where we go from here. For more stories and inspiration, tune into our next podcast where we will be talking about our upcoming Women's Conference, Refresh, Restore, Renew, Healing Ourselves in a Wounded World, May 7, 2022. And for more information on the Women's Center for Healing and Transformation, please find us on Facebook, Instagram, and our website, womenscenterforhealing.org. Until next time.